Do just want to um, give thanks for all the, the praises and prayers that went up in the chat today. It was really great to just see uh, people giving glory to God. Just again, just thanks. Uh, well, I just want to mention people because I think it's important to know that we're together. Just want to thanks. So in Aisha, for Sam, for Haley, for Debbie. Thanks for your praise. It's really encouraging uh, in the church to, to hear those things. Um, I just want to give a few notices before I speak. Um, next Saturday at 7pm, we've got a church social on Zoom. And so this is going to be just quiz, games, and a bit of fun together, because again, it's important that we just come together, even if it's not your thing, and you just want to be there quietly and watch. Uh, that's fine, but I do encourage you to join in uh, with that next Saturday. So we'll send information around with the joining instructions for that. Um, also, prayer tonight is at 7 o'clock on Zoom again. Don't get the two confused. Um, so tonight is prayer, although hopefully we can have some fun there as well. Um, and then just an update on the lunches that we've been blessed to be able to support uh, the local school with. Um, obviously, we've, we've got provision for this coming week, and after that it's half term, when we won't be doing the school lunches, but we do have some food packages to give out to the families who need them. And so God has been providing... Uh, and so we just thank God for that and we thank all those who have been involved in distributing and, and making up the sandwiches, all those kind of things. Um, and just, yeah, pray that God will continue to guide us after that half term in how we can continue to support the school and the community as well. So thanks for that. Okay. Okay, well, the thing I want to speak to on this morning was just a phrase that got stuck in my head as I was reading, uh, in my, my daily reading, there's a phrase, and I, I, it was one of those interesting ones, probably a bit like a, an earworm, uh, but in, in the Bible, where you, you, I, was, I was praying later, and I was like, oh, what should I, what should I speak on? And, and this phrase came to my mind, and I was like, oh, where, where does that come from? And it was like, yeah, you read it yesterday. Um, and so it was, obviously, God just brought that back to my memory, and it was, uh, from the book of Exodus in chapter 3. Uh, and this is regarding the life of Moses. And the, the, the thing I want to speak on, or the question I want to ask you this morning, is what is in your hand? What is in your hand? Okay, and so we're looking at the life of Moses. So just to give you a background on Moses, if you needed it, um, obviously he's one of the most probably famous figures in history. Um, but Moses was born at a time of suffering and persecution. The Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were so worried about the growing size of the Israelites that they decided that all male babies should be killed. And obviously, God had a different plan, and the midwives wouldn't kill them. Um, they just said, oh no, the, the Hebrew women, they're really quick at giving birth, and they, get, they move the baby before we get there. Um, so that was an interesting one. Um, but then Moses is born and gets to about probably six months old and they can't hide him any longer. And so what they do is they put him uh, in, a, in a, I don't know what it is, a bowl, something on the river, um, a basket, and in the bulrushes and then to see what happens. They cast him into the water. And then along comes Pharaoh's daughter and finds this baby and says... 
basically that she wants to take care of it. But interestingly, um, Moses' sister, which is Miriam, had hung around at that point to see what was going to happen to her brother. And Miriam says, I know a lady who could look after this boy. And, and Pharaoh's daughter says, great, go get her. So Miriam goes and gets her mum, Moses' mum, to then look after Moses. So again, so even in that situation where uh, she cast her son into the water, she ended up being the one who would look after him and raise him. Um, and eventually he gets taken into the, uh, the palace, Pharaoh's palace, and raised in that way as well. Comes to a point where, and I think it's very interesting, it must have been very messed up for Moses. It's like, you're in this whole scenario and we can miss these things. It's like, well, I'm being looked after by my mum, but I can't call her my mum. I know I'm a, I'm a Hebrew, but I can't actually embrace that. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of both. I'm in Pharaoh's household as well. Um, I'm in this place of privilege where my people are suffering. And so it must have been pretty messed up for Moses. And one day he sees one of his fellow Hebrews being uh, beaten and he takes action and actually kills the Egyptian uh, guard. Um, fearing that he's going to be found out, he then escape, He flees to a place called Midian where he meets his wife and gets married and kind of settles down to become a, a shepherd. And that's kind of where we... We find him. This kind of—he's in this self-imposed exile. Um, obviously, a lot's happened in his life, but now he's just out in the wilderness. He's out living his life, and it's so very. In Exodus chapter three, it says, "Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God." Now, when I read that, I thought, great, you should always go to the place called the mountain of God. But I realised probably later that it probably wasn't called the mountain of God at that point. That became like the nickname that it was then called later on because that was the place where God was. Um, interestingly, this is probably the, the same mountain where Moses also received the Ten Commandments. So he comes back and God promises that to him later that he'll come back to that place. But he comes to this place, he's just out minding his business and he says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. I'm sure he said it just like that. I will turn aside. Um, not like, holy smokes, uh, Batman. Um, but it was probably like, from what I gather, that you, it was quite common for, for bushes to be on fire because they were in the desert. Um, Horeb actually means, is about the sun. So I'd imagine it was a place of heat. Um, and so maybe these things would often catch fire. But the interesting thing about this bush was that it was on fire, but not being consumed. And so he was like, I need to investigate uh, more. Um, and so verse four says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. I think one thing, um, as we think about this subject today, about, uh, it's about discerning the will of God, really, is you need to be in the place where God is. And Moses, in that moment, could have missed what was going on. He could have been like, oh, it's another burning bush. He didn't look too close. But there was something about it that obviously drew his eye. Um, 
that was different and he noticed it and it, he, he said, I'm going to go over to it, I'm going to investigate. And, and I want you to grasp that for yourself and just think, am I going to the place where God is? Now, I want to thank you this morning for being exactly where you are because if you're listening to this, I do believe you're in the place where God is. Not just because I'm speaking, but you're putting yourself in a position for God to speak. And often we can miss the thing of God because we don't put ourselves in a position. And I know it's really hard when you're at home. Um, for us, I, we've got the kids at home, we've got distractions um, and all these things going on. And maybe say, oh, I'll, just, I'll do this later. I'll, I'll, do, you know, I'll come and seek God later. I'll come and listen to the sermon later or join in worship. Or I won't join in worship, I'll just listen because it's awkward. Now, I really pray that during our worship time, your neighbours were thinking, what on earth is going on next door? This is our evangelism in lockdown, that we just sing the praises of God so they can hear us next door. Um, but yeah, you've got to put yourself where God is, and that's where God is going to speak. And so Mo, God calls Moses in, tells him to take off his sandals because it's holy ground, and then he declares who he is. He says in verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And it struck me when I read that, I thought, okay, generally I'm sure if we meet with God we'd be afraid, but I wonder also whether for Moses there was something he feared more, because he was in exile because he was running away. Um, he had killed a man, and been rejected by the people. And I just wonder in that moment whether he was thinking, oh my, God's found me. You know, God's caught up with me um, and, and I'm doomed, you know. And I think it's important that when we meet with God, God knows us. God knows your history. God knows the past. God knows what you've done, what you haven't done. He knows the mistakes you made. And so, but when God is coming to speak to you, yeah, he might want you to deal with things, but he also comes with a, with a future. Because even Jesus said he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to convict the world. And because condemnation is judgment, it's here, it's done. But if God meets with you now, it's not to bring judgment, it's to bring conviction that we might become the, the vessel of his purpose. Um, judgment will come one day, but it's not going to come right now. And so God then tells Moses that he's heard the cries of the people and that he's going to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them back to the promised land. Um, and he says, come, in, the, in verse 10, he says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, again, put yourself in Moses' sandals there, although he's just taking them off, so he hasn't got any on. Um, but put yourself in Moses' position. You fled Egypt because one, Pharaoh wants to kill you. All the people kind of, no one seems to like you because you're probably seen as this kind of uh, hybrid traitor, kind of, oh, look at Moses, he's in the palace, um, kind of thing, a bit of resentment. Um, and so you're not accepted there, yet God is saying, I'm going to send you back 
to deliver my people. And not only that, but delivering a group of people that is of the size of at least a million people out of slavery and into a promised land is no mean feat. It's not something you do every day, you know? This is a big deal. And so Moses' head is probably spinning here. And he says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And the thing is, when God comes and speaks to you and reveals his plans, reveals his purpose, I doubt very often anyone is like, great God, I've got this. I know exactly what to do. I'm the man. I can do this. Um, I just don't believe God works in that way. And you see this again and again throughout Scripture where God calls people and the most natural reaction is, wait a minute, I think you've got the wrong guy. I'm just nobody. I'm nothing. I can't do this. And, and so often you can feel so inadequate. You can feel just that you don't have the resources, you don't have the abilities to do the thing that God is asking of you. I think it's really important that, and even beneficial that we know our inadequacies. But the key is not to let those restrict the purpose of God. And this is a key where God then says to him, he said in verse 12, but I will be with you. And this is the difference. This is the game changer. I will be with you. Did you know that you plus God equals a majority? You know, we can feel so insecure, so insignificant, so like, who am I? But the moment we have God with us, we are the majority. We are the victorious ones. We are the ones who can conquer anything. You know, nothing is impossible with God. So therefore, as long as I've got God with me, I'm going to be all right. And so he said, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. That when you have been brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve on this mountain. And that's the idea of coming back to this place. He's like, I'm going to send you and I'm going to bring you right back here. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. And then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to them, to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. So again, it's so important that when we have the, whatever it might be that God is asking us to do, and again, I don't believe that God is going to ask many of us in this church to go and lead a million people out of slavery. Maybe he will. But whatever it is, whether it's to go and give lunches to someone, whether it's to go and just say hello to your neighbour, whether it's to share the gospel, whether it's to help somebody, whatever it might be, God is saying, I am has sent you. And the point is you go in the name of the Lord. And I think this is so important because if we go in our own name, we don't have the authority to go. Because again, if I do anything in my own name and they say, you know, if I'm here right now preaching to you in my own name, you can say to me, Daniel, what are you on about? Like, and I would not have the boldness to preach like I am. The reason I have the boldness is because I am has sent me. And I don't come in my own name, I come in his name. I might fumble, I might fall, but I know who has sent me and has called me. And no matter what you're doing, 
if you're called by God, he is with you and he has sent you and you go in his name. And I believe when we embrace that, it gives us the boldness and the confidence to act in ways that we would never do if it's of ourselves. And so he says to go. Um, and so we read on, he kind of says, uh, goes on and says about how he should do it and gather the elders and what he should say, all these kind of things. And we'll skip to chapter four. Because the trouble is, Moses is still not convinced. Maybe I don't blame him. Um, again, it's a big task. But then Moses answered, but behold, this is chapter four, verse one. Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. They're saying, you're, going, you're making all this up. Like, this didn't happen. And so the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And this is really a key point to me. What is in your hand? Now for Moses, he said, a staff. Now, if you were being sent to free a million people out of slavery and you thought, what do I need? What equipment? What, what resources? Now, God's already given him Aaron um, as a backup speaker, you know, the one who's going to speak because God's gracious in that way. But what else might you say? Well, God, I, I need at least probably about 20 million pounds. Um, that would be good. I need kind of uh, some lawyers. They would be good. Um, and I need, you know, you could go on and say all these things that you might need. But God says, what is in your hand? And he says, a staff. What good is a staff in setting people free? Now, maybe it'd be good for the walk back to Egypt, you know, he's going to, as his walking stick, um, maybe to use to defend himself against any animals. But, you know, in the big scheme of things, a staff is nothing. But the thing is, the thing that God puts in your hand will be the thing that is more than sufficient for what you need. And so we think about this staff, and, and in the end, th at this point, it's just a staff. But by the end of the story, this is no ordinary staff. So God tells Moses, throw this down onto the ground, and it will become a snake, which he does, freaks out um, because there's suddenly a snake there in front of him, and then he picks it up and it becomes a staff again. And so later on in the story, when he goes before Pharaoh, the first thing where he, he goes to him and says, you know, I'm going I'm to do this, and they say, you know, well, who are you? What are you doing here? And he says, right, I'm going to throw my staff onto the floor. And so he throws it onto the floor and it becomes a snake, which is pretty impressive. Um, but then the other magicians of Pharaoh throw their staffs onto the floor and they become snakes. Again, pretty wacky. But the key here is that Moses' snake eats the other ones. And then he picks it up and becomes a staff again. The first plague is where Moses is instructed to put his staff upon the waters and they turn into blood. The second plague is that he is to raise his staff and frogs will come. I hate frogs. Um, but frogs will come. I, if I was Pharaoh at that moment, I would have been out. I'd be like, go, please, frogs. Uh. Um, but he was to raise his staff and the frogs came. The third one was, again, to, to raise, I think it was to put his um, uh, staff in the dust and the gnats came. 
So the first three plagues all required um, Moses to do something with the staff. Now, there are ten plagues, and it's very interesting that the remaining seven didn't require it. And there's a part of me that wonders if Moses was like, guess what, guys? I don't need a staff anymore. You know, God showed me it's not actually about the staff, but actually I can just do... And this is the thing, and this is the key. It's not about the staff, it's about who's given you the staff, because actually God is with us. Now, if a staff helps, he'll give us a staff. The staff goes on, if you remember, once they get out of Egypt, spoiler alert, um, and they go to the Red Sea, and he says, raise your staff to the waters, and he raises his staff, and the waters part. Later on, again, in the wilderness, when the people of God are moaning um, because they haven't got any water, then Moses strikes the rock, and spring water comes out of the rock. And then the last thing that happens with the staff is in the battle against the Amalekites, the Amalekites, I think that's how you pronounce it, and famously where Moses raises up his hands, but in one of those hands is the staff. And so this staff is with him, and it's this symbol that God is with him as well. But again, through all this, this is pretty a powerful staff. And the problem is, when we get the call of God, what we can do is we can look at all the things we don't have. We can say, well, yeah, I need, if I had this, if I, if I had a bigger team, if I had this gift or this ability, if I could speak better, if I could um, have more resources, more time, whatever it might be, we look at all the things we haven't got, but I believe the thing that God wants to encourage us today is to look at the thing that you do have. To look at the thing you do have. Um, I'm going to jump into the New Testament, into John chapter 6. And probably, again, one of the most well-known stories in the Scripture. So, in a sense, such an important story that this is the, I think, if I remember rightly, it's the only one that appears in all four Gospels. And this is the feeding of the 5,000. Now, there's a very interesting difference between the Gospel of John and the Gospel of uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the story goes, if you know the story well, um, they're out in, the, in this distant place. Loads of people, over 5,000, have come to um, hear Jesus. It's getting late. The disciples say to Jesus, should we send everyone off to get food? And Jesus says, no, you feed them. Now, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the response is, okay, all we've got these five loaves and two fishes. Um, Now, the difference in the Gospel of John, and I'll find this, in verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9, it says, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. I think it's very interesting that, because if you know also about the timeline of when these things were written, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written before the Gospel of John. And and often... um, in that moment, I just wonder, the disciples probably thought, we haven't got anything. Like, we, you're asking us to feed this, uh, this group and we haven't got anything, but we've managed to find this five loaves and two fishes. But in those, the other stories, they didn't even give credit to the fact that it wasn't even what they had. They had zero. It was actually a, a small boy who had five loaves and two fishes. 
And so, again, there's this picture of what do you have in your hand? Because Jesus is saying, I want you to feed 5,000 people at least. It's probably more when you count the women and children. And so I want you to feed all these people. But how can we do so when we have nothing? We don't even have one thing. We've got to nick this boy's lunch. Uh, and, and even then, we've only got five loaves and two fishes. But again, when you put those into the hands of God, and it says that in verse 11, it says, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. There was more than enough. And again, we see this picture that God might call us to do something. And we can look at what's in our hands and think, how is this enough? But I want to encourage you not to despise the day of small beginnings. Because what God is looking for in this moment is faithfulness. He's not looking for you to have a plan. He's not looking for you to have all the resources. He's saying, I'm looking for somebody who is going to be faithful. And today, I believe, is the day of small beginnings. Because again, we often like the fact we want it all mapped out. We want to know the answer, you know, the beginning from the end. We want to know all the answers. We want to know what's going to happen. But God is saying, will you just take this step? Will you just use the thing that is going to kind of facilitate my purpose? And you realise that, you look back at Moses, that God didn't say to him, this staff, right, it's going to do snakes, it's going to do blood, it's going to do frogs, it's going to do gnats, it's going to part sea, it's going to bring water, it's going to defeat enemies. He didn't tell him all that. All he said is, it's going to become a snake. That's all he told him. And that's all Moses knew. And so Moses went in faithfulness just on that. But then it became so much more. But if he had never gone in that thing, then it would never have become the other things. And so God can be saying to you, do this one thing. I was thinking about this, and I was remembering um, a time when we went for a hike on Dartmoor. Um, it was more than a hike. It was a long two-day two thing. Um, and I, I just always remember this moment where we were standing there on Dartmoor, and obviously you can see for absolutely miles. And you're looking on the map, and I remember looking over and seeing where we were going. And I was like, how on earth are we going to get there? It's just absolutely miles away. How on earth? Because you look at it, you look at the terrain, you look at the, the hills, or, they're not quite mountains. Um, but you think, man, that is, that's just blowing my mind how far that is away. How do I get there? And the answer is, I take a step. That's the answer. There's always a joke, how do you eat, eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, um, the way to get there is you start right where you are. You start with one step, then another step, then another step. And it's amazing that you get to the point and you look back and you go, man, how far I've come. But the temptation could always be at that initial point to never go anywhere. Particularly because you think, well, why is that important? Like in this time, like the thing, one of the things God has been speaking to me 
is just really get to know the scriptures. Really get to know the scriptures. Because there'll be a day, maybe, when I won't be able to sit there and just, you know, just go through the Bible and know, I've just got to know it like that. I don't know what God has planned, but I sense the thing that God has put on my heart at the moment is just really get to know the scriptures better than you do already. And so, again, we don't always understand why God is doing these things, what God is, what his long-term plan is. But be ready today to do the thing that God is asking. Obviously, to get to that place, you need to be in the place where God is speaking. You need to come away with him. You need to spend time with him and listen. I think the trouble is, often we spend so much time being distracted, and then even when we do come to God, we spend so much time talking, um, and that's all good, but you need to spend time listening and just asking God, what do you have for me? What's your next step? What's the thing for today? And then to be obedient to that. So when I ask you what's in your hand, what are the resources you have right now? What are the opportunities you have? Because I, I, I confess to you, I'm really, part of me is really frustrated at the moment because there's loads of things I want to be doing, but I, you just can't. Um, I want to, you know, you're thinking, oh, yeah, I'll do this. You know, this is probably one of the, the common phrases. When lockdown's over, I'm going to do this. And we've got all these great plans, and so we can have all this frustration. But if you put your life on hold until something happens, or, you know, when this changes, when my kids are older, I'll do this. Or when I have kids, I'll do it. When I get married, I'm going to do this. Um, when I'm single, I'm going to do this. Um, you know, all these kind of things. You know, we, when, when I'm allowed to travel again, I'm going to do this. You know, you can have all these things of when, this, when something in my life is different, when I've got more money, I'll do this. But that negates the thing that God is trying to do right now, right today in your life. Because the thing that God is doing today will propel you and prepare you for the thing that he's going to do in your heart and your life tomorrow. So what is in your hand? Whether it's the resources, whether it's opportunity, whether it's skills, whether it's abilities, I want to encourage you to just start moving in that. Just, and it might seem insignificant. I've got a friend and he's started doing videos. You know, and you think, you know, uh, if you didn't know, I've got a YouTube channel for work. And it gets really disheartening when you look and it's like five views on your video. Um, but, you put, but the trouble is, if you don't do the legwork in knowing how to create videos, in how to do things, then the day that comes when God says, actually, I've got a big YouTube ministry for you. I don't think that's going to happen, but maybe. Um, but you haven't done the groundwork to prepare you for it. And maybe the years where you get five views on a video or no views will prepare you for the day when you get a million views on a video or whatever it might be. I do have one video that's nearly got a million views. I do tell my kids I'm a YouTuber, but they, they don't believe it. Um, anyway, I digress. What's God put in your hand? What's God doing in your life? What's he calling you to? Let's just spend a bit of time just 
before God and just asking him. And we just pray that God would speak to us. Father, we just invite you to come and just reveal yourself to us, your plans and your purposes, to reveal the thing that you have put in our hand, maybe the thing that we've ignored, we've dismissed it. But may you reveal that to us now as we come before you. Just one phrase that has just come into my mind is I had a picture of a book and then just saying, open the book. Just open the book. Just also a picture of a leg and kind of, it's a leg that's, I don't know if you want to say it's disabled, but it's kind of um, not working as it should. And and that feeling of, look at my leg, how can I do this? Look at my leg. And God's not seeing that as a limitation. I just want to encourage if it's anyone just to not see that as a limitation in what God can do. Lord, we do thank you, Lord, that you have called us, that we are your child. Lord, and you love us. Lord, and you are with us always. I love that. It's that what you said to your disciples right at the end. You said, Behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll be with you always. You've given us your Holy Spirit, Lord. We don't have to fear. But if you are with us, that's the, that's the majority. Lord, with God, nothing is impossible. Amen. Amen. So we invite the band to come up. Again, just opportunity to continue worshipping. If you do just want to continue praying, then use that opportunity to pray or to come and worship God. God bless you.